Andrew, you may cut all of that. No, um, you may not. Th- thanks for the permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, assume, I I don't always listen to all the episodes, so you could just be cutting out like half the things I say, and I wouldn't know lots <laughs> of these episodes. <laughs> It's <laughs> it says it begin shorter and shorter. And Todd, Practi- it's practically the Todd Max show. <laughs> Finally, I'm like, oh, I gotta let you know. I, I, that was a really good conversation. We're gonna go here again. Wait, I know I said some other stuff. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack, and I'm Joseph Drowski. And this, t- this week, we are talking about Becca Mitchell from the film Pitch Perfect. And this was a patron request from patron Colleen. So thank you, Colleen, for recommending this. <laughs> I was just looking at our script, and I saw it says patron Colleen. And I was, I was thinking, what an interesting first name, patron. <laughs> <laughs> but then I remembered that's not Colleen's first name. It's her title. Yes. <laughs> How have uh, you been? Uh, great. Uh, Todd, you have young children, right? Yes. So I, occasionally children will do something that is adorable and magical, but also a tiny bit creepy, right? You're familiar with this <laughs> phenomenon. Yes. So my two-year-old has an imaginary friend named Wing Monster. Wing as in wings of a bat. Uh-huh. Wing Monster. <laughs> Who lives on or in our ceiling, depending on what mood my son is when I ask him about it. Is but, Wing Monster related to the Jersey Devil? Uh, it could be, could be. It might be the Mothman. Wing Monster will also come with us in the car, and he'll just all of a sudden look up in his seat, and my two-year-old will say, Hi, Wing Monster, and wave at the ceiling of our van. That is disturbing. <laughs> yes. And if you ask him questions about Wing Monster, he's pretty consistent. Wing Monster is yellow and has three eyes and three tails. Wow. Yeah, so that was my... Uh, yeah, uh, that's just something that's been on my mind this week because it happened within the last two days. Uh, I have two kids older than my two-year-old. My oldest had a herd of imaginary cows that lived in her closet for a while, but then the next one had no imaginary friends, really. Never entered that phase. But now my two-year-old has a friend named Wing Monster. Wow, that is really interesting. Well, as uh, as we already said, I, I don't know. I have a good transition out of that, but you asked what, how I've been doing. That's what's been on my mind, but today... We are here to talk about Pitch Perfect. It is a 2012 film that was written by Kay Cannon and directed by Jason Moore. And Becca Mitchell is played by Anna Kendrick. And this is the story of an all-female acapella college group that wants to make it to nationals. Well, not just make it, but win nationals. Can I tell you what's on my mind before we jump into Pitch Perfect? Yes. Sorry, I forgot to ask. That was very rude of me. The uh, the fantasy box office is on my mind. Oh, our, okay. So it's, listeners, it's always on your mind, Todd. At the always start of this on year, my mind. Listeners, at the start of this year, if you missed this episode, we did fantasy box office where we each picked a, uh, a well, a, like over a dozen films each. But we're trying to predict what will make the most at the box office, but also do the best with the critics because the box office will be multiplied by the Rotten Tomatoes score. And we're trying to accumulate the largest box office by the end of the year. So, Todd, why don't you give our listeners a quick update on our standings right. in our fantasy box office? I would love to. So the first film to come out this year was, well, we had uh, two films in the same weekend, Split and Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. And then uh, Resident Evil, The Final Chapter. And now I picked all of those films. I've actually picked the first one, two, three, four, five films to come out this year. <laughs> Todd's going to be building up quite a lead. So I'm building up a lead right now. Uh, now, so far, the uh, the box office winner is split. It, it it has raked in eighty two million over $82 million. And its Rotten Tomatoes score is 73%. Uh, so... That film is doing quite well for me. Triple uh, X is at thirty-five million, and Resident Evil as a, is at sixteen million. Triple X has a score of forty-three percent. Resident Evil thirty-eight percent. That's what I like to hear. Those last two, not the split. So, so my total uh, unadjusted earnings for the year so far is one hundred and thirty-five million, and my total adjusted earnings is eighty-two million. I'm just over fifty percent average critic score. And I am at zero on everything because I have not had a film <laughs> film come out yet. 
Uh, average domestic earnings is forty-five million. I am. I have an eighty-two million dollar lead over Joe, but <laughs> <laughs> but looming large on the horizon is Beauty and the Beast, which is released March seventeenth. At which point everything changes. <laughs> that was my first pick, and I'm really banking on it to get me back into the race. <laughs> uh, one week after that, I get Power Rangers. So <laughs> I. I'm feeling all right about Beauty and the Beast going head-to-head against Power Rangers in week two. All right. So, Todd, how did you come to Pitch Perfect? I have seen – I mean, I've been aware of Pitch Perfect for quite a while. I feel like I've, I, I have seen at least one a video of a, a clip when they sing Just the Way You Are. Uh, but other than that, it's a film that I've always been interested in seeing, and so I've deliberately kind of stayed away from it until I could actually sit down and watch it. And uh, I did this week and uh, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, similarly, th- I had never seen it until it was request uh, for this podcast. I knew of it. It had been recommended to me by many people and many uh, students, probably. Yes. Many, many students <laughs> had suggested that I go and, uh, and see this film. And it wasn't like I was avoiding it. I just never got around to seeing it. Um, and now I had a reason to, and I enjoyed it. It was good. All right. Uh, fans, we would remind you that, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Over 180,000 titles await you there to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. All right. Some trivia about Pitch Perfect. We have a lot uh, of trivia here. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is about one thing in Pitch Perfect. As you say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so... Uh, this film, it, it did all right in theaters. It was not a hit by any stretch of the imagination, by any definition, but it wasn't a flop either. However, in DVD sales, it blew up. Uh, and it was actually DVD sales and, um, like on demand viewing was what made the, uh, the producers say, we're doing a sequel of this, uh, more than anything that it made, uh, in film. Any, I even saw, I, I, I didn't copy it down, but, um, the year it was put out uh, for HBO, where they, you could stream it uh, if you had HBO channels, it outstreamed everything else on on HBO, <laughs> like all the other blockbusters from that year. Uh, Pitch Perfect was outdoing them. And one of the producers specifically said that uh, when the film was first released on DVD, uh, they were at Target a couple weeks later, and they saw all empty slots where it said Pitch Perfect. And that's like, I got to go check the numbers. <laughs> like, how are DVD sales doing? <laughs> Uh, the film has a certified fresh rating of 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the film is extremely loosely based on a nonfiction book called Pitch Perfect, The Quest for Collegiate Acapella Glory. In that book, a GQ writer followed collegiate competitive acapella groups from like three different universities. He, I, I don't know how he followed them, but for one year, like in the course of heading towards uh, competition, he was following <laughs> them around and he wrote about the singing groupies, rivalries and partying that happened around college acapella. That would be the strangest research project. <laughs> yes. I, and a part of me wonders is like, was this supposed to just be an article that he was like, there's so much here. This is a book. This is not an article <laughs> anymore. People. <laughs> I'm, I, who knows? Yeah. Um, Anna Kendrick, the star of Pitch Perfect, and I had often heard of it, like said, the kind of like Pitch Perfect was like, that was what made her. And I would say it's probably one of the most uh, popular things that Anna Kendrick has starred in. And she is very, very charming in it. And uh, just like she has a presence about her in the film that you understand why people talk about uh, her in this in this film. But she started in theater before film and she had a Tony nomination when she was only 14 years old. So her acting career does predate uh, <laughs> Pitch Perfect. And by the way, she was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress uh, Oscar, Oscar in 2009 for the film Up in the Air. So wow. even if you think like she broke onto the scene with Pitch Perfect, she was being critically acclaimed well before that. Yeah. Um, now we're going to pause Pitch Perfect trivia and we're going to dive into Cups trivia. <laughs> Because there's a song from Pitch Perfect called Cups that became a breakout hit and was played on the radio. Anna Kendrick singing it uh, on the radio. Uh, but there are a couple layers of trivia here. So we're going to jump back to the very beginning of this song. Um, the Cups song that Anna Kendrick does for a, it's a tryout scene for acapella in the film Pitch Perfect. She does a song called Cups, but it's based on a 1931 song called When I'm Gone. That song was written in 1931 by a group called the Carter Family, and they were an American folk music group that recorded songs between the 1920s and 1950s. Um, That song has been re-recorded many times and used even in other film soundtracks, like uh, there's a Steve Carell film called Dan in Real Life that used that song. Uh, 
Um, but there was a version of that song that was posted to YouTube uh, that used cups and clapping to create percussion, but was otherwise a cappella. And that was po- posted by a group called Lulu and the Lampshades. And that video was titled, You're Gonna Miss Me. That's one of the lines in it. So the song was originally When I'm Gone. Then it became You're Gonna Miss Me in this YouTube video. Now it's called Cups. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the internet claims that Lulu and the Lampshades were the first to use cups as percussion. But we had a comment on Facebook. I had said, I'm doing this deep dive into research on the song Cups. And someone said, I remember doing that years ago at a camp with cups. Like singing the song. Doing that, cups. like tapping yeah. out rhythm. I, I mean, our sister taught us that one. With that song? Uh, no, not the song, yeah. but that, that tapping out that rhythm. On, yeah, on I remember cup, that like rhythm. it's a cup game where you. And so I'm wondering if like there's some, the, they're the first have combined it. Uh, I don't know. But also that video is now seven years old. So that could have been when she said years ago, it literally could have been after that YouTube video because that YouTube video by Lulu and the Lampshades uh, became very popular, particularly on Reddit, where there were tutorials about how to do it. And lots of people learned how to do uh, the song You're Gonna Miss Me with the cup rhythm, tapping the cups and everything um, from Reddit, including one Anna Kendrick. <laughs> now, the script for Pitch Perfect said Anna Kendrick's character is going to miss the main montage. Everyone who's trying out for acapella was going to sing Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone. Uh, but she comes in late and says, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And so she was supposed to do, like the script, Anna Kendrick said, said I'm just going to do a lame song like I'm a Little Teapot. But then she showed the producers her cup routine and they said, well, we're just going to have you do that as your, <laughs> your tryout song. So now that song, Cups, is in the film. And people really like the rhythm of it. So they make a longer version of it for the soundtrack and for radio release. Actually, they think this song could be on the radio. And it's just, uh, I think, Anna Kendrick uh, doing the, the that. I do think they add some instrumentals, but it is her singing it. Um, it's about a minute longer. Uh, and it was first released. It was number 98 on the Billboard Top 100 chart. So it was released as a single. It made number 98. But then... 32 weeks later, it reached number six. That's the highest wow. level it reached. But it took it was a long, slow crawl to break up to number six. Uh, and then this also blew my mind a little bit. Kendrick made a music video of uh, that song, and it was directed by Jason Moore, who directed Pitch Perfect. He directed the music video. That music video has been streamed more than 300 million times. Wow. So the song Cups, that's, uh, that's our Cups trivia. And that's the end of all of my trivia about Pitch Perfect. <laughs> I ended up... I just was curious about that song because i'm like i know i've heard that on the radio after i watched it and i was like i'm just gonna go look up some about it and it was I, more than an hour of my life disappeared <laughs> trying to, <laughs> to, to find out about this song cups it's a great song before we jump into our long synopsis we want to remind you to uh take advantage of great deals from amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash amazon for all of your amazon purchases and we remind you it just looks like regular amazon it costs you nothing more uh, but we get a little kickback from any purchases that you make there. So uh, you can pick up uh, Pitch Perfect there on DVD, one of the millions and millions and millions and millions of people <laughs> who have bought this on DVD. Or you can stream it uh, on Amazon. Uh, pri- uh, on Amazon, uh, you can rent it uh, digitally. And uh, with that, we will move into our long synopsis by Joseph. Okay. At the Acapella National Championships, the Treble Makers, side note. These are I, the worst. I love <laughs> the puns for the Acapella group names. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, the Treble Makers have... Uh, punning is generally frowned upon as far as comedy in my book, but when it comes to Acapella group names, you lean hard into the pun <laughs> realm. Can I ask you what your favorite one is? Uh, like, you know, I'm going to... After I read through this long synopsis, I'm going to pull up the list of all the, <laughs> the names and make sure I don't forget a good one. I'll even, uh, I'm sure I can find a list of the ones that appear in Pitch Perfect 2 because there was already a sequel and there's a third one coming. All right. So the Treblemakers have had a very good performance, but the Barden Bellas, the first all-female acapella group to have made it to the finals, are about to go onto the stage and try and win the championship. The Treblemakers and the Bellas are from the same university. However, during the, their performance, one of the Bellas, Aubrey, is a bit nervous and in a fit of nerves, projectile vomits all the way to the third row. That was so... It's totally violently, took me by surprise. Violently vomits. <laughs> was yes. not what I expected from this movie. Have you seen this movie, Andrew? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, like I said, I was sitting down and watched this with my wife. We did not see the projectile vomiting coming. Uh, then we cut to the start of a new year college. Uh, and our protagonist, Becca Mitchell, is a new student who has a whiff of two school for school about her. 
She doesn't want to be in college. She wants to be in L.A. producing music. She spends all of her free time making mashups on her computer. We also meet Jesse, a hunk of potential love interest, Rebecca, who has a roommate that is clearly a nerd because he has Star Wars stuff in his room. <laughs> Side note. Perhaps being a fan of the most popular franchise in the world should stop being used as shorthand for uncool in popular culture. Double side note, the particular form of his fandom does take an understandably <laughs> off-putting uh, nature to it. So I understand why his particular fandom of Star Wars, but there's still kind of this cultural shorthand in TV and film where it was like, someone likes Star Wars, oh, nerd, uncool. It is the most popular franchise in the world. I think we can let that go. Yeah, I agree. But he, it's the magic too, the magic and yeah. the the animals coming out. He yes. he does uh what's it called? He's a certified illusionist, uh, and also like I said, the particular form that his fandom takes. He has covered this entire room that is going to be a shared space with with Jesse <laughs> before Jesse arrives, and he's even spoken to him. He has covered the entire thing in Star Wars paraphernalia. So uh, if you're going to college, before you decorate your dorm room with anything, you should meet and speak with your roommate and uh, find out what their tastes may be. Uh, anyway. At a welcome to campus club fair, uh, the Barden Bellas are having trouble attracting girls to come and try out because they are now the laughing stock of college acapella. And if you are the laughing stock of college acapella, everyone knows it in the entire world. <laughs> this uh, this scene had kind of a chariots of fire uh, vibe for me when they're going. Pause. The... Please explain <laughs> because I am not <laughs> seeing that. <laughs> With no, it's like uh, the, the clubs. Gotta, yeah, gotta, they go around to all the clubs the club. and everybody's oh, right. singing, okay. and he says, "Oh, you have to join a club." And he and there's there are the guys that are singing and the and the sports thing. And okay. uh, Harold Abrahams is is kind of uh, like um, what's the word? Like feeling kind of melancholy about everything. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, okay. I I think they I I think it's a direct reference. I, I, now I see it. <laughs> All right, uh, so the Bellas, uh, they just want girls to come and try out. Uh, and But then there's a girl who is named Fat Amy, and that is what the name she calls herself. And she says she calls herself that, so no one else can say it behind her back. Um, she comes, and she makes a good impression on them. Uh, they ask uh, the, these Barden Bella girls, though, they also see Becca, and they ask if she wants to join, and she calls Acapella Lame. And Benji who is the Star Wars-loving magician, he tries to go meet the Troublemakers, who he idolizes, and he would love to join the Troublemakers. Um, they won the national championship. And he, uh, he has them up on a pedestal, but the leader of the group is named Bumper, and he is a complete jerk to Benji. And no one should be a jerk to Benji. He is adorable. Becca, <laughs> <laughs> nobody should be a jerk to anybody. Let's just put that out That's there. Well, I, I, if someone is a reciprocal jerk to Bumper, I understand that more than someone just being an outright jerk to Benji for no reason. Agreed. But I uh, agree with your premise that <laughs> don't be a jerk. That's a good, good life lesson. Uh, anyway, uh, Becca takes a job at the university radio station as an intern where Jesse, that hunk of potential love interest that I mentioned earlier is also interning. They do not get off to a great start in terms of romantic tension though, because Becca is completely indifferent to all humans. Becca's dad visits Becca because she hasn't been going to her classes. So this is now we've known for a couple months or at least a month, I guess he says she needs to get involved in college She's very reticent to do this. So he tells her that if she joins a club and he can tell that she's actually trying to engage with other humans, he will let her quit college and help her move to L.A. so she can start her music producing career. Then we get a terrifically uncomfortable scene as Becca is singing to herself in the shower (laughs) and Chloe, one of the co-leaders of the Barton Bellas, uh, hears her and she confronts her and begs her to join the Bellows and makes her sing a duet with her right there as they're both standing in the shower. Uh, then we cut to a montage of people trying out for the various acapella clubs on campus. Uh, it's a montage of Miss Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone. Uh, and the acapella clubs, because you can't just have one acapella group on campus. There are the Troublemakers, the Bartimellas, and the High Notes. I think that was the only ones there. The High yeah. Notes uh, are noted for... Um, the pun of being high all the time <laughs> in terms of the high notes. <laughs> They're a very relaxed group of acapellas. The other ones are very uptight about, about their singing. The high notes, not so much. Becca shows up late and she uh, did not prepare to sing Since You've Been Gone. So instead she does the cup song that was referenced extensively in our trivia section. We see uh, some absurd acapella club initiations, uh, but we sadly find out that Benji did not make the cut for any of the acapella groups. Aubrey, again, one of the co-leaders of the Bellas, uh, is a stickler for rules and tradition. And she kicks two of the new girls off the Barton Bellas before like they even begin their first day. (laughs) Uh, of practice 
And she insists that the only songs that the Bellas uh, will sing are ones that they have sung before. And Becca is more of a modern performer, and she is hoping to sing some songs from this century. Do you want to do you just I mean, it's kind of important why those girls got kicked off because they were they were fraternizing with with the troublemakers. And that is forbidden. It doesn't seem like that was always that might be a new rule. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, this is especially kind of a problem for Becca because she's kind of interested in Jesse who is a troublemaker. Uh, a troublemaker. He made it into the troublemakers. Yes. Uh so now uh we get a training montage, classic training montage. Did did you know um how old all the songs that the Bellas are allowed to sing are? Like it's from their classic repertoire which uh, I like think includes yeah, it it starts and pretty much ends with uh, Ace of Base. Yes. I saw the sign. <laughs> yeah. I love I saw the sign. Which is, it, <laughs> which is a great song. song, but if you haven't added anything since then... <laughs> yeah, it's might, a problem. Might need to be updating. Uh, so we get a training montage, but instead of sports, it is uh, a singing uh, training. Though there is some cardio involved, because they've got to do their, uh, you know, their, their hand-waving and their, what do you call it, their, their routine. Dancing. Their, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. kind of intense dancing. Yeah. Choreography. Yes, choreography. Um... So we, we get the training montage, but then the group has their first performance, and they bomb utterly. Um, meanwhile, Becca is trying to get her mixes played at the radio station, but because she is an intern, that's not going to happen. Uh, Jesse, uh, again, the love interest, he loves film scores and soundtracks, and he tries to get Becca to watch movies, but she does not like movies. Side note, in this conversation, Becca says she knows Darth Vader is Luke's father because Vader is father in German, which is a lie. Vader <laughs> is father in Dutch. Everyone knows this. Father in German is Vater. Uh, anyway, uh, inside note, <laughs> Jesse <laughs> tries uh, to get her to engage in movies at all, but she just is not into it at all. We cut to a riff off where all the university acapella groups uh, show up, and there is a category given, and then they have a contest who can sing to see who can sing a song that fits that particular category, and then another group has to pick up overlapping lyrics and launch into a different song that still fits that previous category. It's all musical. The Bellas lose and we're going to move on because it's just lots of singing. Uh, Becca shows Jesse her mashups and he's impressed. And then he tries to show her the end of the breakfast, breakfast club, but she's unimpressed by that. We could also say that at the riff, uh, riff off, uh, Becca she right. kind of shows her yeah. her chops. This She's is her... really, really good at this. Yes. She is an alpha acapella, or I guess that would be aca alpha. She is an aca <laughs> alpha <laughs> In the pitch. Perfect speak. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then we cut to regionals. We move on to regionals. The Bellas perform their same old song. Uh, everyone, is like the, the, so throughout the film, at all these competitions, you have these two announcers. It's Elizabeth Banks and um, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, but they have a very funny repartee between the two of them. Uh, I really enjoy their performance and his um, kind of unenlightened misogyny and her, I'm sitting here dealing with this, but she calls him a misogynist to his fake face <laughs> at the very end. Like, she says, no, you are a complete misogynist. <laughs> um, but th- they are complaining about the how tired this routine for the Martin Bellows has become. Even though they are doing the same old routine, they come in second, which allows them to go on to the semifinals. Uh, as they are driving there in a bus, they stop to fill up with gas. Uh, Bumper and the troublemakers are driving by in their bus, and he sees that Fat Amy is about to fill up uh, with ga- the the the, uh, the bus with gas, and so he throws a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, it's kind, of funny. it's kind of funnier when you say it like that. <laughs> And out of a moving bus, he throws <laughs> giant, a giant burrito, like a big burrito bomb, and it explodes all over Fat Amy. <laughs> uh, I didn't put this in the trivia, but apparently that actor, uh, to get the shot, he was told, just throw it at the cameraman, and he nailed the cameraman in the face. <laughs> he did not think it would be that accurate. He was just hoping to get it towards the cameraman for the for the shot. Wow. Um, that Amy really milks the fact that she's been hit with a burrito. Uh, and there's a lot of drama for a moment, they, they, but they help clean her up. Uh, but in all of this chaos, she forgets to fill up the gas tank. And after the Bellas have a bonding song on the bus, I believe it was a Miley Cyrus song of, uh, 
party in the USA. Is that correct? Does that sound right? It sounds That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, so they all sing that and they bond, but then the bus stalls because it is out of gas and they call the troublemakers for a ride. And the, so now the troublemakers and the bellows are all on the same bus. Uh, some bonding happens. Uh, some people, even though fraternization has been banned, you can see some potential fraternization beginning to bubble up. <laughs> Okay, wait, wait, wait. Can we can we talk about the the whispery girl for a second? Let's, okay, she has a fantastic line in this scene. All her lines are fantastic. <laughs> I need I needed subtitles on to be able okay. to know. But the, the, when scene, she, in, I think um, it might be later on. She reveals like her deep dark secret. I didn't remember. And she says, "I was I ate my twin sister, my twin in the womb." Yes, yes. But I think at some point she also says, "I was born with gills like a fish." Yes, that's <laughs> the very. That's, that's something she says at so, some point. It's like, yeah. what in so, the world? There's one character in the Barton Bellas who tried out, but she is a whisperer. She's a very low talker. So, so quiet. You, you, like in a film, like deliberately, it's hard to know what she said, and you really have to be strained to hear. And in this scene where they're bonding. Uh, she's sitting up next to the driver who's kind of been the the lieutenant of the troublemakers. Um, He's Bumper's toady. But yeah, but I kind of liked that actor. I thought he did a great job with that role. Mm-hmm. And so that guy's driving and this girl starts whispering in his ear and she whispers, I believe the phrase is, sometimes I burn stuff to feel alive. Is that right? <laughs> or start fires. <laughs> or I start fires to feel, to feel alive. And he just was like, cool. <laughs> like he is 100% into that. It is a great scene. Uh, one of many great scenes. And great deliveries. Delivery is so important to this yeah. film and the way the comedy works. And they do they do a good job. All right. Uh, so they're on their way now to semifinals. Uh, and at the semifinals, Becca sees... So they're doing their same old number. And she sees that the audience is, and the judges are completely bored and are tuning out. So she calls an audible. Mid-performance, she starts adding a backup mashup set of lyrics. So she's the only one singing this alternative modern song lyrics, but it's kind of syncing up in a pretty cool way. It is what really they're doing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they wrap up, and Aubrey, who was the stickler for rules and order and tradition, she is not pleased, and she yells at Becca. And everyone kind of says, that sounded kind of cool, Becca, but we probably should have talked about it. Like, you just doing that by yourself was not the best call. Uh, so Becca gets angry. Uh, Jesse comes out to try and calm things down. She yells at Jesse, right, as the, the troublemakers are about to go on. Uh, and she quits the Bellas. She's just yelled at Jesse. She's just yelled at all of her friends. She storms off. Uh, the Bellas come in third behind the troublemakers and another group called the Footnotes, who had a lot of fancy dancing as part of their signature moves. <laughs> Uh, Benji had been hanging out with the troublemakers and he was there at the competition, but he realizes the lead singer of the footnotes, it was only in high school. And so they get eliminated and the Bellas are back into the nationals. Uh, but they're back in, but they're kind of broken because Becca is lonely. She's working at the radio station in angsty silence. She watches a copy of the breakfast club, the whole movie. And she cries at the end. She can't stop crying. Cause you know, she actually watched the entire movie and movies. It turns out can be, you know, moving. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, her dad convinces her that she needs to go and try and rejoin the Bellas. And that's why she's so sad is because she quit, her, you know, on her friends. Uh, meanwhile, Bumper quits the Troublemakers right before Nationals because he has an offer to go do some backup vocals for John Mayer. <laughs> and Benji gets called up <laughs> to join the Troublemakers. Isn't As- it kind of weird that they call up Benji when they've got all those other guys that are... Yeah, okay, so... No, let me... Well, <laughs> I thought... At a certain point when clearly Bumper is a horrible leader for the Troublemakers and right. Aubrey was being a little too uh, mean to all of the Bellas, I thought a third group was going to be formed. A mixed gender acapella group was going to ah. be formed. Didn't happen. I, I wrote a different film in my head as I was watching this. And the one that I watched was fine. So I'm not saying I wrote a better film. It's just I had different <laughs> expectations. At one yeah, point. okay. So as the Bellas are trying to practice without Becca, they are just falling apart at the seams. Due to the stress, Aubrey once again vomits all over the stage, leaving a massive puddle of sick just there (laughs) in the middle of the stage. And all the girls start fighting, like physically fighting one another. And one of the Bellas, the the low talker, (laughs) ends up lying on her back in the puddle of vomit and she makes That's a so vomit weird. angel. She starts spreading her arms and legs back and forth in this human sick in the middle of the stage. Uh, Becca shows up as this is all happening and they stop fighting and she apologizes and asks if she can rejoin. Aubrey tosses her the pitch pipe of leadership, but Becca drops it into the puddle of vomit. <laughs> 
And they all recognize that they need each other, and they open up with some raw honesty and a nice bonding scene. Quickly now, they are on to Nationals, where the Bellas perform a mashup of modern songs with Don't You Forget About Me from Breakfast Club thrown in as well. Kind of a, a sore thumb in the middle of all these <laughs> modern songs. Uh, but this was arranged by Becca, uh, and they perform it, and then it cuts to the final scene of Becca sitting in on new auditions for new members. And it's revealed that the Bellas are the reigning national championships or national champions of collegiate acapella. And Bella or Becca, sorry, Becca has not left as she is there to help coach up the next generation of Barton Bellas. The and she's the, she's the leader. Yeah. She's now the leader. Well done. Thank you. I feel like you, you, um, well, uh, okay, I didn't even say. Uh, she and Jesse are together by the end, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, uh, I guess that should be noted. But I was kind of surprised how minor their romantic tension really kind of was to the overall plot. Especially given the amount of um, innuendo and uh, what's what's the more explicit form of innuendo? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a double entendre, it's just an entendre. An entendre, yeah. <laughs> And they talk about a, a, a lot, a lot about sex in this. And and I was surprised that at the end, they just, I mean, there's, they, they kiss and that's it. Yeah, like the that main relationship is very chaste compared to some of the very side chaste. relationships that get described. Yeah. I mean, nothing, it's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't show this to young kids, but I understand why this is very popular with teenagers because it's just this side of like not explicit and everything is. is Pretty, yeah, it's kind of edgy. Yeah, but but nothing explicit is in it, and so uh, I'm, I'm sure there are lots of parents who have allowed teenagers to watch this without you know even thinking twice. Realizing, <laughs> or realizing one of the two. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, I just want to give before we start talking about Becca or anything else. I want to give a shout out to Reba Wilson. <laughs> Her line delivery was so comedic. And the timing and the tone of voice that she used. She is Fat Amy. Yes, Fat Amy. Yeah. Was so great. And there are have been huge numbers of male and female comedians who are larger that their entire stick is just references to their size. And, you know, just how funny it is to see big people doing things. And that's all that they have. But she absolutely has the comedy chops for delivering a line in a way that is funnier than what's written on the page. There are plenty of fat jokes to go around in this film, uh, but the what's her name? Uh, Rebel Wilson. Rebel. Rebel. Yes. Rebel Wilson. R e b e l. I think she's from New Zealand or Australia. Australia. Rebel Wilson's uh, delivery is fantastic, uh, regardless of what she's joking about. Yes. So, should we talk some about uh, Becca as a character? Yeah, I would like that. All right. Um. You had mentioned that we should talk about the hero's journey. Yes, because this film aligns pretty well with the hero's journey. It does align pretty well with the hero's journey, and uh, I think if I can, if I think about this film in those terms, it helps. Uh, there are a, f- a couple of things that uh, didn't uh, didn't quite work for me, mm-hmm. and maybe if I think about them in terms of the hero's journey, then it, it makes a little bit more sense. But so sh- the film begins. She's like classic, uh, angry at the world, late teenager, um, doesn't really want to be at college. Right, she does music. Plans. She paints. She paints her fingernails black. Um, I mean, she's not. She's not like a like gothic, mm-hmm. but she's she's just disinterested and uh, distant from kind of the world. Uh, I think that the this. <laughs> It works so well for her to be doing all these mashups because she puts on her headphones, uh, which is like a uh, sign to the world that I am not engaging with you. So this is earbuds do that, but she's not putting on earbuds. She's putting on the giant Princess Leia headbun headphones yeah. <laughs> and just like a megaphone to the world of don't even try to communicate with me. Yeah. And and then at at the end, for me, the 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 important part of her journey is her ability to open up and develop relationships with people. Um, she has a nice conversation with her dad and, and just in realizing that these girls are my friends and I actually care about them. Um, I, and that's the journey I think that she goes on. 
uh, and it's it's nice. I, I don't know that it's like world changing <laughs> uh, fiction here, but it, it follows the hero's journey quite nicely. We see uh, call to adventure. Uh, we see um, departure, and then we see a series of. Um, I guess like gatekeepers or helpers, people that kind of come and they do a thing and then they leave. And and that was part of what uh, maybe didn't quite work for me in the film is I feel like some of the side characters are really, I mean, they're, they're good and they're fleshed out, but I feel like some of their stories just don't, don't quite work for me. Like, like so they work as characters. And I think the actors, like for most of these side characters do interesting things with fairly small amounts job. of real estate in the film. You know, they're, they're not on screen for done, but, right. but the, the characters they create are fairly memorable within the narrative, like how they fit into the jigsaw of pitch perfect. Sometimes it wasn't a smooth edge that was being. Yeah, formed, do you, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Do yeah. You, and I, I, I agree. That vibe also like, um, one, one character that I think of is the radio jockey guy mm-hmm. who is there. And he's kind of a, I mean, he's kind of, it's, it's fun to see him, what is it? What is, what what's the like the the rivalry between him and Jesse? Right, because when he lifts up his shirt and, and shows his abs, and she's like, "Uh, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he, he uh, Jesse Jesse was being sent to like go pick up lunch. He's like, oh, do you want to take it easy on the burgers?'" And he lifts up his shirt. Oh, yeah. uh, no, I'm fine. And, and she goes, yeah, "Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine." <laughs> Uh, but that guy's cool. But then he just he just disappears. Nothing he, ever really happens with him. Like he barely like he does play one of her mashups on the radio, and that's it. But it's like I didn't even include that in the you know end of the summary because it was so minor to the he's to the totally plot. he's totally non essential mm-hmm. to the story. You could take him out completely, and the story remains exactly the same. Um, whispering girl, yeah, uh, is hilarious, and. I wanted like I wanted that to be an actual side story even if it's even if it's small and minor but she's it's just a it's just a, a joke right I mean mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to do a funny thing with a funny character uh, but there's not which I think that you can have that like there's a place for that in comedy films especially but there were maybe too many of those Yeah or, I think I, so again, like it, it made uh, you know, you've got this nervous spine, but there's too many kind of jagged edges shooting off of it that don't quite mesh. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're main. That was they're a meant horrible metaphor, be, but I hope you know what I meant. <laughs> I think they're meant to be um, just like helpers, gatekeepers, people who come along, they do a thing, they help the character move on the journey, and then they sort of disappear. Uh, and as far as that's concerned, I mean, I, I do think that Becca's journey is complete. It's satisfying, uh, and so on that front, the film succeeds. Uh, I feel like there's there's maybe an even better film in here uh, if they just kind of clean up some of those rough edges, give these characters a little bit more satisfying um, uh, like arc. J- journey. Yeah, arc. Um, the the girl with the nodes. The it like yeah, that was another one that it that turns into me. nodes, and then and then she does that that low tone at the end, and they're like, oh, now we can hit those low tones, but. but it, then- it feels like it's kind of squeezed in there at the very end. And it doesn't feel like it matters with what they do. Like they don't right. make use. So the nodes is a girl has to have surgery on her vocal cords and she's worried that she won't be able to hit the notes she used to. And she discovers because of this magically, she can hit some really low notes and the, the knock against all female acapella groups is that they can't hit the low notes that really fill out a full arrangement. Um, but you don't really see her using that newfound yeah, talent. They don't, they don't lean into it in the final number. And I mean, I'm not a musical genius, but I'm also not a musical dunce. Um, and it it just anyway, it, it it doesn't like musically. They could have done something really interesting, and then they they didn't. I feel like yeah. they just kind of dropped the ball with her um, in that that little side story. So uh, I would say, like a good film could have been a an even better film. Well, this is kind of interesting. This is another note I had. Um, do you think our expectations, because we've both had this recommended to us so frequently, maybe played into our reaction to the film? Because that was similar to yours, where I'm like, that, that was a good film. I'm not saying this was a bad film at all, or I had issues with it the way I had with The Giver or anything else that we heard. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but because so many people had talked it up to me, I think I was expecting something more. And I always, like, there's, there's a lot of... Um, 
like you hear the term like, oh, well, I knew about it before it was popular. So, uh, you know, and, and there, it's said with this kind of tone of, so I like it more. But I think there might actually be something to <laughs> discovering something and liking it for what it is before there's a popular conversation around it. Yeah. Um, that is, it doesn't change what the object is, but it changes your relationship with that object, you know, with that art, with that piece of entertainment. And I think my relationship with it, with Pitch Perfect was maybe harmed because it was recommended so frequently by students and I'd heard so many great things about it. I heard the song Cups um, that my expectations were maybe unfair going in. Whereas if I just, you know, rented this from Redbox one night after it first came out on DVD and before anyone was talking about it, I might have had a better initial reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I would say don't get us wrong or don't get me wrong. This is a a complete a satisfying, delightful film. The, You're going to enjoy the music. You will laugh out loud more than once. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, the, and, the, and that's the other thing. The music is, I mean, it's so catchy. And I've had the Just the Way You Are in my head for three days now. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, it, that, that aspect of it is amazing. The performances, by and large, are good i mean yeah i understand some, why, some really good i understand why people love anna kendrick after watching that like i hadn't really yeah. seen her in much other than um what Twilight. was that musical no well i did see the first Twilight film and i guess she was in that wasn't she uh but the uh into the woods but i have a lot of issues with the film into the woods so i didn't really care about <laughs> you know, any of the performances in there yeah um and, and but in this i completely understand why people uh you know rave about anna kendrick and say like she's gonna be one of the the stars in hollywood for a while yeah i agree when we were talking about the hero's journey, there was one thing I wanted us to come back for to, but the conversation kind of took a different path and that's fine. But one of the best scenes for me in this entire film, which the film has a very snarky tone and there's so many of these acerbic one-liners that I laugh at and I love. But one of the things that I will, that will stick with me besides, you know, a human making a vomit angel um, <laughs> that's going to haunt and delight my memories forever. Uh, but the, the other thing that's going to stick with me is when she was watching um, the end of The Breakfast Club and she was like tearing up. Uh, it was a great performance by Anna Kendrick in that moment. And I think we've probably all had those moments where even if you're alone, like you're like, why am I tearing up watching this? Like I don't, <laughs> like, and you're, you're trying to pretend you're not crying, even though there might be no one else around. Uh, but film and, and books and uh, TV shows can do that to you where, you know, it can hit you emotionally. But I thought her performance there was great, but I think that as, as para as um, being part of the hero, her cycle uh, and her transformation was a really interesting way to, um, to show her kind of in, in the abyss, right? I, I think that's her yeah. abyss moment, uh-huh. which th- we've talked about when we, when we did the episode on the hero's journey, we talked about the abyss is almost always covered with, or there's always water imagery and there's baptism and change. And for her, the water imagery was her tears. Um, and yeah, and her transformation is happening right then. I love the scene when she goes back to, to Jesse and she knocks on his door and she says, I'm really sorry that I yelled at you. And he says, um, I'm trying to find it right here. I'm sorry we fought. I was just mad I overreacted. It's just Aubrey drives me, and then Jesse says, Seriously? You think I'm mad? You yelled at me? And Becca says, I know. And then Jesse says, No, you don't know. You think you know, but you don't. You push away anyone who could possibly care about you. Why is that? Uh, Becca, re- Becca reacts, hurt, but takes this in, and then she shrugs, I don't know. And he says, Well, you better go figure it out, because I'm done with whatever this is. And then she says, Jesse, and then he says, Done. And he closes the door, and then she she's sad. So you push away anyone who could possibly care about you. Why is that? I don't know. And there's this, there's, I, I think that the, the storytelling surrounding Jessica is really quite good. I think, um, wait, surrounding who? Becca. Yeah. Did I say? You said Jessica. Jessica. Oh. Is, that, is that their celebrity name? Jesse Jessica. Becca. Yeah. No, Becca. Um, Becca, thing, Becca. I think the thing with her dad, uh, is totally believable. Um, you know, I like, think being a TV, you know a freshman that thinks they're going to have a career in LA is completely believable. <laughs> thinks they're wasting <laughs> their time in college. Yeah, I just I mean divorces, divorce is really hard. And oh right, yeah, it's, her, it's totally calls. believable to me that ha- having seen what her dad goes through with the divorce, and he, and and there's a there's a really really great. Uh, line when she's talking to her dad and he says you can't just run away from your problems and she goes really <laughs> and then he goes oh that's not fair because he knows that she's talking about the divorce and he says you know we really tried to make it work 
Um, but you you get the sense that that's where this angst is coming from is from seeing her her parents separate, and it makes her hesitant about uh, about her own relationship with Jesse. And all of that's totally believable to me. So when he says the um, "you think I'm mad because you yelled at me" line, um, yeah. I understand why she would think that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, but but he's kind of saying there's like so much more that's wrong <laughs> than that one moment, right? Between us, it's not, he's not saying that's okay. Yeah, but he's saying that's a symptom of something that's way worse. And if I mean, every couple is going to have moments where they disagree, and they're even going to have times when they yell at each other. But she seems really incapable of opening up emotionally in any significant way. That's what that's that's the bigger problem for him. And it it shows when they're watching Breakfast Club, and she's just not really interested in it at all. Um, yeah, she's not engaging in any emotional way with anything. Like she gets excited about her music, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and like I said, understandable given what she's been through personally. But that's what she needs to get over, and she needs to realize that she has a good thing going with Jesse, and that she also really cares about the girls in her group. Yeah, the relationships that she's pushing away is not just a romantic relationship, which I think often in. Uh, Shows that are dealing with uh, children of divorce, they make it like they're scared to form, you know, romantic relationships. But she's pushing every kind of relationship away. Yeah. And then the kind of the sister scene to that is uh, after the the vomit angel, when they all sit down and have that heart to heart. And they're able to open up and share, uh, you know, things about them that nobody else would know. And that's when they things really start to click for them. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important that um, that vulnerability Vul- vulnerability means exposing yourself to potential hurt, and and sh- she is doing her very best to be invulnerable for most of the film until she realizes that there's a chance that you know life could be good and and. She she doesn't have to do that all the time. When you were saying that, it made me realize that one of the first songs we hear her sing is the Titanium Bulletproof song. Oh yeah, and I had that, not made that's that the one that she mentioned. That's the one she's singing in the shower, and then yeah. she's it's the one that she uh, that she introduces when she calls the audible. Mm-hmm. She sings Bulletproof again. So yeah, uh, not by mistake, I would say. Yeah. She's um, such a cool song. I mean, and she sings it so well. <laughs> there's there's a lot of good music in this. If you haven't seen it, there's just no. There's a lot of good music in Pitch Perfect. All right, this is uh, like kind of an insignificant thing, but it's just kind of interesting as far as genre theories. I, on another podcast that I listen to, the Judge John Hodgman podcast, and John <laughs> Hodgman has a cameo in Pitch Perfect 2. He is one of the tone hangers, I believe. <laughs> uh in pitch perfect too uh but he uh so in that people send in arguments and he'll have them on and hear both sides and then he renders a judgment and one of them was an argument about whether pitch perfect is a musical and he didn't devote a whole episode to this he sometimes does clearing the docket where he does like five short things uh and the people aren't on he just discusses it with the, the people around him uh and I guess before I tell you what he said, Todd, what is your reaction to the question? Is Pitch Perfect a musical? Is the debate surrounding because the music is um, diegetic? Diegetic? Yes. It doesn't matter to me. I would call it a musical. The other debate is that in classic musicals, uh, the songs reveal things about the characters, and this is just, you know pop songs over and over though. We did just discuss how yeah, the song Bulletproof is revealing something about her character. And I think that if you look more closely at the music in this, that you would, um, that you would see that that's probably not the only case. Yeah. He rendered it not a musical, but in a fuzzy gray or really close to a musical. <laughs> his, he's like, you need to honor the tradition of the Broadway musical. And this is something else from the classic Broadway musical. I I would I think it falls not not so far from that tree. 
Yeah, it's it's really close. And he was saying it's really close, but it's certainly in the in the vein of um, uh, White Christmas, because White Christmas is a backstage musical. So, mm-hmm. but some of their songs are also the non diegetic. Yeah, where they're just bursting out in the song. In the, yeah, well, making sandwiches, liverwurst sandwiches, worse. Well, meal but ever. they're musicians who do the, who do those kinds <laughs> of things. Yeah, I mean, is that so different from like driving on the bus to your? to the to the competition and singing party in the usa is that so different from singing about snow on the on your way to vermont i think the primary difference people would bring up would be the originality yeah that the people singing on the bus everyone would have heard party in the usa hundreds of times on the radio right and they're just making up a song on the spot in musicals okay i'm not saying that's a good argument about it i think that's one of the primary arguments yeah i have no problem calling it a musical I don't know what else you would call it. I think it's the kind of musical that you will see more today that would be this style. Um, yeah. and I know there are others, even on Broadway, that are using popular music. Some of them are about the the bands. Yeah, the, uh, now it's now they're escaping me. But I know like there's one musical that's about a 1950s band that just uses Rock, their music. Rock of Ages is that one where they they use pop music from the yeah. 60s or rock music, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's a number of this style. Uh, so I think like it's, this is one of those where like genre classification, you're overlaying this codification on things that exist, and sometimes the things that exist aren't going to align perfectly within those, and um, art shouldn't be trying to align perfectly within these other rubrics. So while we're talking about music, what's your favorite song? Uh, I mean the the cup song is pro- was probably my favorite in the thing, but uh, as far as like the the big acapella mashups. It was interesting to me, and I said it stood out. But their final number, when they bring in Breakfast Club, the uh, uh-huh. like, don't it, you forget about? Yeah, don't. Yeah, it worked, and, and it made me like, it worked within this film, but also it made you tear up. You can say it. No, nah, I wasn't tear up. <laughs> don't, don't put tears in my eyes. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, but, but like, it worked as an emotional payoff for the arc of Becca's character to have inserted this one song that doesn't fit the you know everything else that's around it but i thought it also worked like just as a piece of performance um like if you were in the audience and you didn't know her character arc it still would have been fun and catchy to have that within there that that, that's the one that stands out as i'm thinking back on it the most what about you i really like the just the way you are matchup a mashup uh when they're singing in the pool not and not they're not swimming in a pool they're just standing in an empty pool Uh (laughs) and they sing just the way you are it's the first time that they that they kind of come together after they've had their heart to heart uh man i could just listen to that song over and over again uh and then the other one that i really like is the troublemakers uh post bumper at the (laughs) at the national championships when they when they sing um uh magic magic yeah that's i i that's that's pretty great so i I mentioned some about pitch perfect 2 and i came across a lot when i was doing research for the trivia yeah in pitch perfect 2 and i knew this the offensive line of the green bay packers make an appearance as an acapella group (laughs) during the whole offensive line uh uh, at least five of them i think so there's another riff off in pitch perfect 2 uh and there is the bellas and the troublemakers then uh it's some my understanding is there's some rich acapella fan has brought these groups together because they're the best. And there's the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's a German group called Das Sound Machine. <laughs> but the reason the Green Bay Packers ended up in that is one of the Green Bay Packers uh, had tweeted at Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks after Pitch Perfect came out saying how much he and the other football players loved this movie. And, um, and, when she she directed Pitch Perfect 2 so she reached out to them and said would you want to be involved and he's like we will do anything we'll learn any dance numbers we will do wow. <laughs> anything you want uh, and so they appear as an acapella group and it's the actual Green Bay Packers um, that's awesome but some people in like trying to make sense of why the Green Bay Packers were in Pitch Perfect 2 they started to talk about how Pitch Perfect and some of this goes absolutely goes back to the Hero's Journey discussion we had earlier like this pattern is the same that we see in a lot of sports movies right the underdog oh yeah uh you know that uh, has to uh learn certain lessons to, to be able to improve like they've got some raw talent but they got to learn you know the lessons along the way how to be a team player uh how to how to fit in um how to magnify the talents of others people around them and all these other things so um i i think it shows both like uh the hero's journey like so many different things can be laid onto it 
but it uh-huh. makes uh, like that that pattern is appealing to uh, groups that maybe you wouldn't expect. Like how many people would say they're, oh, well, an acapella movie, that's for me. You know, that, that's yeah. my wheelhouse. Uh, but these football players did. And it also reminded me of um, a Roger Ebert quote. Uh, I think, I want to say it was Roger Ebert, one of the last films that he reviewed before he passed away um, was, if I, maybe it's another, or maybe it was someone quoting Roger Ebert in a review, because I think this may have come out after he passed away. Uh, but the, there was the movie Real Steel, which had boxing robots, Hugh Jackman with boxing <laughs> robots. And there was one positive review, and I think now I'm thinking that it was probably just, they borrowed a quote from Roger Ebert in the review that said, um, any story that's well told is going to be good, even if aspects of it seem absurd. And I said, yeah. like, I really enjoyed this movie about boxing robots. Uh, and uh, they laid out all the reasons why, and they're like, I understand, like, there's this level of this that is just absurd, but it, it was fun to watch. And I think it's it was following, I'm sure it followed the hero's journey pattern and just happened to have boxing robots uh, as part of it. And Pitch Perfect follows that pattern, and it's a pattern that we find pleasant. And that it's we, satisfying. It's satisfying. It's emotionally rewarding to see a character go through that journey. And that it's emotionally rewarding if that character is trying to make the Notre Dame football team. It's emotionally rewarding if they're trying to reach nationals in collegiate acapella. Um it's it's emotional uh, emotionally satisfying if it's i i think the same pattern we, we talked about with uh while you were sleeping if it's a you know yeah. woman who's thrust into this family and she doesn't quite know how to make it but she goes through the exact same hero's journey and finds her place at the end and i i think that's one of the reasons this this movie works even if you we said you know you could clean up maybe one or the two give a, a better arc to some other characters and it might be even more satisfying but what we have here is a pretty darn good movie yeah, uh, well, and I said at the very beginning, it's a direct descendant of Chariots of Fire, of course. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, it really is it really is a sports movie, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a sports movie it, it, it dressed in, in a choir movie's clothing. <laughs> but is it, choir it follows, movie a genre, Todd? <laughs> uh, choir movie is, uh, yeah, you've got uh, Sister Act, Sister Act 2. <laughs> Back in the Habit. Back in the Habit. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that. Uh, Go on, Todd. Um, keep, keep up your list of choir movies. Of choir movies? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you another choir movie. Um, Sister Act 3. <laughs> Was there a third one? Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> Pitch Perfect 3 um, in, in pre-production right now. There's got to be more. But no, I, I, like I said in the, my plot summary, there's, you know, the training montage that it feels like a yeah. Rocky training montage or the yeah. remember the Titans, you know, at, at summer camp training montage, but it's people singing and even, uh, Oh, there's a, there's a French film called the uh, Le Choriste, which is uh, a French film about, <laughs> about little boys that sing in a choir. I believe, uh, Nativity 2 involved a choir, did it not? Christmas. Christmas yeah. special. Oh, there's uh, a whole bunch of them. You got boy choir, the co- the chorus, uh, the Christmas choir, the, choir choir line. <laughs> the fighting temptation, sister act, sister act two, joyful noise, preaching to the choir, Mister Kruger's Christmas. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. There's like ten. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway. <laughs> Back to, well, okay, this isn't even going back to sports movie, but I said there's a training montage. It reminded me of one other thing that I loved in this, and it was the singing montage of Since You've Been Gone. Uh, and Oh, yeah. And it tryouts? was just fun. Yeah, the tryouts. It was just yeah, fun. fun. It, it wasn't uh, trying to make like uh, music that's going to be played on the radio like the Cup song was. It was just having fun with music and having fun with um characters that you're never going to see again for a lot of them but even some of the characters like Jesse when he, he does the since you've been gone he's like oh this is high it's like, oh, it's, high. Oh, it's, high. it's really high like it keeps cutting to him saying oh. um, and it, it was just this wonderful blend of music and comedy where uh, it, it took this known song um, cut it up and had all these side characters you know singing it and it was just so entertaining to watch that uh, in the movie and so I, th- I think um, the way that music gets used in this, it's, I think it'd be worth watching it again and taking a closer look at all the different ways that the songs get played, whether it's revealing something about Anna Kendrick's character, whether it's just raw comedy, whether it's, uh, an emotional beat adding in, um, never, uh, what the, all of a sudden I'm forgetting the name of that song. The, don't you forget. About don't me. you forget about me. I, I can never say it without like <laughs> taking the beat that they take <laughs> in the music. Forget yeah. it. Like, I can't, it's like. No, it's just, don't you forget about me. Yeah. But, like, I can't say it like that. Yeah. 
Um, music gets used in a lot of interesting ways in this. And I think I, I only watched it once preparation, but if I went through again and watched much more closely at the specific songs that are chosen, particularly when they have to choose with such care because rights issues. Um, yeah. You want to be careful because yeah. it's expensive. Yeah. They said the, uh, I, when I was like a trivia, they said that um, the riff off originally had like a, a 10 more songs, but then like the screenwriter got a note about budget. <laughs> <laughs> and got a lot of songs uh, from the riff off uh, because it's so expensive to bring these in. So which ones do they deem as important enough, both for whether it be aesthetic value, uh, character revelations or emotional beats within the story and, and trying to, to parse that out? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, even as I go back, um, it's, it's not. So the, the, each song on its own is not as directly related to the material, the, the content of the film, as you would see in a classic like Broadway musical. But I think like every song that the Troublemakers sing is like I mean their their early songs are aggressive and uh, gritty, and then their the, that final when they sing at the finals and they sing Magic. That's it, they have a, a completely different feel to the group once Bumper is gone and Jesse and Benji are, are le- leading the group. Um, and it's like the, wor- I don't know that the words are even as important as the tone and the, the feeling. Um, and I think, so I, I, I agree with you. I think there are more complicated things going on with the songs than they just pick the most popular songs and let people sing them. Um, th- this was carefully done. Yeah, bulletproof is a, I think, a great example, but um, but not the only one. All right, real quick before we leave, I was um, trying to look up the names of all of the acapella groups, but I actually ended up on a list of all the categories for the riff off. So they spun a little wheel on the riff off, and whatever uh-huh. it landed on was what the songs had to be about. Here is the options that existed on that wheel, and we only see like three or four of them. Ladies of the eighties songs about sex, black Michael Jackson, white Michael Jackson. <laughs> Christian rock, hair bands, TV theme songs, reggae time, medium rock, the Judds, famous duets, overplayed Black Eyed Peas songs. Specifically <laughs> overplayed Black Eyed Peas. Wait, this was my favorite. Songs ruined by Glee. <laughs> Party rock anthems and ugly lead singers. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't say uh, your favorite your favorite group name. Uh, well, I'm trying to pull it back up. I had it. Okay, here are all of the... Uh, this may be from Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2. Uh, so Das Sound Machine. That's the German one. Uh, the Bellas. Uh, the Harmo- BU Harmonics. The Footnotes. The High Notes. The Sockapellas. That was the group that you saw. The Tone Hangers. And the Troublemakers uh, are the ones that were given. No, you didn't mention the one that's my favorite. Oh, what is it? It's the one that the judge says that she was in when she was in college. Do you remember what it's called? Oh, I don't. And it's not listed in the Pitch Perfect wiki right now. I it's called it. The Minstrel Cycles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that one wins. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Todd. Final thoughts about Pitch Perfect. No, this was fun. I'm glad that Colleen uh, recommended this. Now I can tell my students that I've seen it and I can make funny jokes in class that they will all laugh at. But then I think then also like point out the hero's journey and you'll actually like bring something to the lives like, oh, wait a second. What? Yeah. No, this was uh, this. This was fun. And and yeah. and my life is better because I have heard this music. And I'm going to have a lot of this music stuck in my head for quite a while. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13. So our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. But if you enjoyed this one, you might want to go listen to episode number 22. That is when we discussed the hero's journey for an entire special episode. Or you might want to listen to episode number 47, While You Were Sleeping, where we also talked about another story that we didn't 
quite notice was the hero's journey at first and then realized how, you know, why that story works so well. Uh, links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our previous shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. Quick note, we've had some great feedback of late coming in and we thank everyone who takes the time to send us those emails. We really do appreciate them. We read them. Uh, Todd forwards them to us immediately when they come. Uh, so thank you. Uh, and if we haven't gone back to you, it's not because we haven't read it. <laughs> it's just, uh, there's a lot going on, but we do appreciate every a bit of feedback that we get. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonist pod at Todd K Mac at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners. Please drop us a line there or go give a comment under one of our posts. If you'd like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways that you can do that. We give you options in how you give us money. You could buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage or just going directly to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. It will look like regular Amazon, but Amazon gives us a little kickback and they don't need all that money. So just go ahead and use protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. Wait a second. Before you completely sign off, my wife and I have started a new podcast. Uh, it should be available in iTunes. If not, uh, when you're listening to this shortly thereafter, it is called Disney Animation Minute Essentials. We are going through some Disney classic animated films minute by minute. That's right. Each episode is discussing one single minute of film. Uh, but the episodes won't be as long as this. They'll be no, like, no, 10, like, like, 10 like, to 20 minutes. Yeah, 10 to 20 minutes. And we'll be getting guests. Uh, Joe and Todd will be guests on this podcast. We're starting at the beginning. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It should be available on iTunes. Disney Animation Minute Essentials. We would be so grateful if you would go subscribe to that podcast feed. Uh, you get a, a few minutes every day uh, discussing a film in deep, deep, deep detail. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so thank you again for listening to this episode of the protagonist podcast, but do go give the Disney animated minute essentials. Something like that. I thought you should call it the Disney animated minute notes, but you thought the acronym was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're sticking with Dame. <laughs> okay. Thanks again for listening to this episode though. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing she does she's not a one-trick pony yeah and also just as far as line delivery i really <laughs> like the commentators. i'm sorry i don't know i don't know if i should say she's not a one-trick All right, well, give another reading of that line, Todd, <laughs> for Andrew. <laughs> Just no equine references when we're talking about. <laughs> she is... <laughs> You were just about to say it. I was just about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about to use these raptors, though, Andrew. This is like in our hidden archives. Just make it yeah, the these, these are... <laughs> I was about to say she's well-rounded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are a lot of fat jokes, but she carries a bigger load than just that. No, <laughs> Come on, Todd, you're bigger than this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to claim that this is avoiding fat jokes, but it, but Rebel Wilson's comedy certainly shows a wider range than that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the same as all the ones we've done. Okay, that was, that was not. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one that there's gonna be no possible. All right, I'm not gonna say that this film doesn't use fat comedy. I mean, the character calls herself Fat AB from the get go, and there's certainly some physical comedy about her size. But Rebel Wilson's line delivery and the way that she can elevate what's you know, what she's been given shows, you know, a breadth of comedy. <laughs>